0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. There it is. I have let go of the cliff and I'm free falling now into the raging river of fun. I can't wait to get started on today's show. My guest today is an absolute badass uh, in the world of sales, in the world of marketing. People have considered him a wizard of the high seas. He will be teaching us, schooling us. He's also big into endurance, um, competitions. He's a triathlete, all the things. Founder Fluent, Nate Razrella. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks so much for having me, Casey. Been looking forward to this one. Yeah, yeah, me too. We didn't even realize how much we were looking forward to this. But we were going to find out now how much fun this is about to be. So with that, I'm going to shut up. I want you to start schooling us. And I'm going to pass you this thing. It's heavy, though, but I know you work out. So, ugh. okay, here you go. All right, take from me Thor's hammer. You got it? I got it. All right. I got great. it. Is it heavy or not for you? Because You you know, yeah. I've been training for this, right? You've it was training. on my calendar.
1: I knew it was coming. So I'm ready. Yeah.
0: You've been doing extra pushups, right? Extra rows just to get ready for Thor's hammer. Take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of marketing and sales myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all.
1: Well, I got the hammer, so I don't want to waste the opportunity. We're going to do two. We're going to do a sales myth and a marketing myth. So Hell first,
0: yeah. we're going to go top of funnel marketing
1: myth. Number one, you need to optimize for lead capture. That is false. You need to do everything that you can to optimize for referrals. So what I mean by that is get rid of all of the forms that gate your stuff and make it so easy that people can't help but share it out with friends. It will, at the end of the day, loop back and turn back into pipeline Whoa. as long as, as long as, long and here's the caveat, Yeah. when people read your stuff, the feeling that you want them to have is, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't have to pay for this. So if you put stuff out there that is totally ungated and people say, is this really free? Or like, did I get in here somehow? That is far and away 10X going to be the better
0: approach for you. So don't get your stuff. Don't optimize for lead capture. Damn. Okay. So a bunch of marketers just tore up, you know, they tore their notebooks up and they threw their laptop across the room. And they're like, you're you're kidding me. You don't optimize. But so you're saying optimize for referral instead of for lead capture? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn. But aren't you going to get fired if you don't provide enough leads to sales won't they start yelling at you
1: no because this is how you provide more leads for sales and more leads who are more excited to talk to sales so it helps the goal the the
0: the lead forms the capture forms are working against you they're working against you all right this we have to talk about and then the other thing uh, is the content which we'll get to as well that they get to so i've spent like the last 10 years teaching people how to do pardot and lead capture forms and gating content and here's my thought if it's a short mm-hmm. form if it's a tiny little form if it's pre-populated isn't that okay mm-hmm. are you getting rid of all forms are you going a hardcore drift mm-hmm. and you're just saying murder every single form on your site
1: i i am a drifter I objective. I agree. Now you can have forms buried deep in your site. So here's the caveat: the stuff that people hit up front got to be totally engaged. Okay. The things where people dig deeper and deeper. Now you know that they're truly engaged. Sure. You know, sh- share some forms. You can begin to do some like progressive profiling and build out a little bit more information. Great. But you, somebody should be able to go and navigate around all your content without hitting any point of friction. Number mm. one. And then number two, it should be stupid, simple for them when they love it to share it with others, because your main goal is to turn one visitor into three or five people all reading from you. And so often when you're gating stuff, it just prevents, prevents that. So you don't get this like multiplicative effect of people reading and loving your stuff.
0: No, I I'm with you on that one because man, sometimes people go through, I mean, I repeat particularly remember click on an ad that said marketing automation and AI together. It's amazing. I thought, well, I should probably read this because I'm mm-hmm. a big marketing automation guy. I should probably know how AI is working. So I'm like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Clicky clack, knowing full well what I'm doing, filling out this form and, and I get your white paper. It was designed beautifully, right? Beautiful design, mm-hmm. absolute garbage, rubbish, terrible shit in there. And I was mm-hmm. so pissed. I felt like I got tricked that I okay. like unsubscribed immediately. Um, and when the person, of course, the poor, poor person had to call me the next day, I hear you got a white paper. I was like, look, I know it's not your fault, but this white paper is garbage, right? You mm-hmm. tricked me and I never want to talk to your company again. So I feel like a lot of us are doing that. They're like, well, they won't fill out the gate, but if they do, at least we'll have them. And then when they don't like our content, we can at least harass them later. It, exactly. There you go. Let
1: me, let me give you an example Please. from this morning. So I I got a note from a head of sales enablement. So we, we build software for sales teams. Cool. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reading off of a LinkedIn message that came in at 7.34 this morning. Nate, our CRO has been using your sales playbook to create some trainings for our AE team to help us out with enterprise sales. I was wondering, maybe a lot to ask, but you think you'd be up for a 30, 60 minute session where you come share some of the best practices in your content um, to help us sell more enterprise deals. Now... The point is, he's referring to the most valuable piece of content on our site, long-form guide, end-to-end end, everything that you need to know about landing enterprise deals. If that CRO had hit in a form and been like, eh, "I don't really want to give my give my email up right now," what would have happened? Nothing, <laughs> right? But in this case, now we've been the center of the trainings and the start of the weekly sales team meetings where. Every single person in the company has been reading that playbook, and now they're like, "Hey, could you come and talk to us a little bit more about some of these practices?" And so you just open yourselves up to so many other opportunities that you otherwise would miss. So um, I like your example of the the ad, the click here. You know, if let's say that that CRO had found us through that ad, but I had gated it, and so he didn't go forward
0: and read, then big missed opportunity. And, and talk to me about this content that encourages referrals. They have to get there. And I think your words was, they need mm-hmm. to say, oh my gosh, it's free. How how do you create content that's like that? Do you have any tips on that?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of give you my um, overall framework for it. And this is like the most fun thing when I put out a new piece of content. And that's the comment that I get back. People are like, oh my gosh, Nate, why aren't why aren't you charging for this stuff? Now, obviously it's, there's strategy here. We want to get our name known in the software that we're building, but here's the framework to create that type of feeling and that type of content. So one, you need to lead with some type of non-obvious insight. It's why I love the way that you started today. And this is where the second myth will come back in. So the non-obvious content that I create for sales teams is all built around this idea that sales reps don't close deals, buyers do. And so everything that you read is all focused on shifting to selling with your buyers, not to them. And what I go into and go into great detail on are things that is just so different that you're not reading from any other sales blog that people are like, wow, this is cool. You know, this is, this is a different perspective. So take what people are talking about, figure out a way to invert it, make it not obvious, focus on there. Number one. Number two, cool. there is should always be some type of like long form anchor content that you are building up to. And so what I'll do is I'll pick some type of theme. I'll write out one long form blog post, usually anywhere from like 2000 to 2,500 words is the target. Then that, by the way, can be chopped up and repurposed for other channels. Yep. But think of each of those blog posts as essentially a chapter in one longer playbook, some anchor that you can then give out. And so over the course of a couple quarters of building out these different blog posts, as long as it's aligned with that first point on some type of different insight. So there's a narrative arc, if you will, that ties all of this together. You can package that up into, you know, mm. one pretty significant resource that people just love. And they're like, man, I can't wait to tear into this thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The idea of building up into the to large one, I'm definitely getting the sense it's It's quality. It's not the quantity, you know, a thousand blog posts that no one wants to read, maybe Google indexes versus some really good stuff that people are sharing in Rev Genius. They're sharing all over the place and they're linking to this file. And maybe the file doesn't have a gate because it's out there for mm-hmm. people to get to I, I mean how many times have I been to uh, you know, Dreamforce one of these other ones and people are putting out the state of Salesforce in 2020? okay, check it out you know and they're like here just here we're, we're the purveyors of knowledge you know we, you don't have to fill out a form to get this thing. We want you to have this knowledge mm-hmm. and know the source. Don't forget the source of where you got this from. Exactly
1: exactly. you, you want the type of content that people, are using to act or behave differently in their job because they're yeah. like, man, I, I learned something. Yeah. And you don't
0: forget that feeling. It's one of the best
1: feelings in the world. So you, you remember where you got it from.
0: Yeah, for sure. Podcasts can tend to be the same kind of thing, right? You have those conversations, mm-hmm. people learn from this guy named Nate who's brilliant and he's all this stuff. And they go check out your site and you heard it here on the hardcore marketing show. Great. There you go, dude. There you so go. good. How, how, have you always been this way? Did you learn this? Did you have some moments where it just like, ah, why am I playing this the silly game of just you know writing a thousand blog posts?
1: You know, I I kind of stumbled into it over the course of time. Mm-hmm. And what I, I I try to read a wide variety of different kind of topics. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Sure. And usually, what I'm looking for is somebody who is articulating something that matches up with my own experience, and then finally I can put the language around it. And so, for example, like I am a big fan of Drift, the Gerhardt founder brand kind of playbook. Sure. Totally. And so it's this idea that often the founder of your company will look at the world differently from everybody else. That's what gave them the conviction to go out and build something in the first place. So if you want to talk about a source of non-obvious insights, typically it's sitting inside of the founder's head. And so you need to mm-hmm. go figure out a way to distribute it. So one example of, you know, things that I was already doing, and then I could say, oh, look, they've done this and seen success with it. The term for this is the founder brand approach. Amazing, right? And so that's where I try to validate things just through my own experimentation. And then I, I look for, you know, language, frameworks, other ways to go about it, reading and listening to a pretty wide
0: variety of topics and genres. Wow, did Gerhardt, did, is that founder brand? Is that something he invented or? Did yeah, he so he, um,
1: he put out a book that is basically... Call it like the the history or the summary of from the early days of
0: Drift, gotcha. how he approached content creation. Gotcha. Yeah. Have you been to any of those events, the early day events? For Drift? I, I
1: haven't. I haven't. Um, I may call it a, a fan from afar, watching gotcha. and observing from afar.
0: Totally. Um, I had a chance to go to some of those and they were the coolest events because they actually had good speakers and- yeah you learn stuff like, oh my gosh. And then someone from Price Intelligently who was talking about pricing, like literally things you could apply right then and there. so mm-hmm. it was almost like an unconference and it was, it was so helpful. Normally I skip conference sessions and I'm like mm-hmm. there to meet the people because what are we even saying? But their sessions were always really impactful and sometimes they got in trouble for them. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but they're always really pushing the envelope with those, with those conversations.
1: Yeah, there you go. Uh, another good example of this is earlier this year, Sales Assembly put on an event for sales teams, revenue teams, and they intentionally kept it very short. It was a single day. It was packed with four solid high quality keynotes. And wow. for two weeks after that, any call that I was on, that event came up. and people were telling me about how much they love sales assembly because in the same way that we've been talking about more digital content, they took the same very like thoughtful approach on their in-person content.
0: In-person content. Yeah, it really using that same approach on any in-person, not in-person, virtual, this, that, it Mm -hmm. used that same approach across the board. Love it. Myth smashed, crumbled into dust. What's next? You said you wanted to smash some sales myths as well. Okay, so here's the sales myth. Yeah. Most
1: people believe that sales reps close deals, but they don't, buyers do. And the reason why I say that if you look at all of the make or break moments that are happening in the buying process, it's never on a sales meeting. Like you and I are talking over zoom. I as the sales rep and handling the objections, delivering the pitch. It's like, actually where the message matters the most is when your champion on the buying team is talking to their own team. And they're the ones who are delivering the pitch that determines whether or not their boss, for example, is interested in coming to attend a follow-up call. They're hearing the first objections And so that's where the message really matters. And that's why I say, when you look at all of the moments that can create and kill deals, it's going on in the buying organization, not during sales
0: meetings. Dude, it's so huge. Um, I literally experienced this today. And sometimes I experience these things and I need to talk to people like you where you're like this is actually what happened i was just so in the moment they're like this is what was it yeah and i had someone mention and they're basically sharing objections they received from someone else with me i'm like mm-hmm. oh we want to do this and uh, we don't want to do a weekly podcast we want to do two two we It'll make them like 30 seconds long and all these different weird objections and so i i then spent most of the call almost like teaching her how to then go back to this you know dejector whoever this person who was kind of pushing back and said, in like teaching her why and kind of part of me wanted to actually talk to that person but mm-hmm. in, in lieu of that i had best thing i can do is tell this person you know yeah so here here's the really fun shift in that yeah. moment you weren't
1: selling to that person right you were enabling them to sell mm-hmm. with you when you weren't around and so the function of a good account executive sales rep today is more like what an enablement team does. They are equipping others to sell with them, and so that's the shift from sales enablement to buyer enablement. You were enabling your buyer to go sell internally when you couldn't be there.
0: Mm. Now, is that is that determined because it, it's a complex sale involving multiple people, or because you couldn't get to the decision maker? Now you're doing enablement, but if you could get the decision maker, now you're just selling. Or is this always the case? So it's always the case for a complex
1: sale defined as consensus-based, like multiple different contacts and all got to align on the decision. So you could start with the CEO. Maybe the CEO is the first champion who's like, totally got to be doing this podcasting thing. It's going to be amazing. We need somebody to help us out with it. They're leading the charge, but they're not going to be the one executing on it. The marketing team is. They have to figure out how this fits into their broader demand gen strategy. and so. Now, the CEO is the one trying to get the marketing team up for a conversation with you. Right. So just because they're the person who can easily say, we're doing this and here's the budget for it, doesn't mean that the complexity in the deal evaporates. Right. <laughs> they, they still need to create consensus and get others uh, involved.
0: And that's where the complexity comes in. Interesting. So unless you're selling to oligarchs and dictators- <laughs> <laughs> who can just make decisions? Yes, I yes I like this product. We we shall buy. We shall. I don't know why by royal decree it sound like that, but by royal decree we we are going to buy this thing. And it's like okay, but unless you're exactly. selling to those people, which might be dangerous too, uh, then it is a complex sale. How how do we best enable whoever we're dealing with to to sell?
1: So the number one thing that it comes down to is a clear and a compelling message most times that message ends up looking a lot like product and service descriptions. <laughs> it's, it's what you're talking about in a sales meeting can revert back to without some intention and thought. Here's what we do. Here's why it's awesome. And here's why it's better than all of the other competitors. However, if you look at what's going on in the internal buying conversations, that message is very different. It's here are the big issues. Here's what it's costing us. Here's who's being affected or impacted. Here's what we've tried and isn't working. Here's an approach that we think could be helpful. Mm. And then you kind of get around to saying, oh, by the way, I think this service or this product could be a good fit. So there's this whole narrative that's being created that has nothing to do with a specific vendor or a specific product. And often when deals are lost, it's far earlier in the sales cycle of just getting people to care enough about, this is a big problem that we got to solve and solve now before people are in a place to take seriously the product or service. And so you may be talking with one person who's totally amped up on your product and they're like, this looks amazing. I want to start with it. And then they go and share this around internally and it falls on deaf ears. And so the sales rep is thinking like, sweet, I've got somebody who totally loves our service. This is going to be a great deal. But they didn't enable them with a message that is not about the product. It's about the full narrative around creating change in the organization. And so that's where so many deals
0: just hit a wall. And for that reason, that's where buyer enablement really starts. Makes sense. I I totally can get that right. You're talking to that person, they're jazzed. And so because they're jazzed, you just, I got this. And I'm not really thinking about, well, shit, does that person know how to say it as eloquently as you did? Have you said that clear and compelling message enough that they know Mm -hmm. how to say it? If not, I can totally see that person Going to try to tell. I mean it's like it's like you experience something cool on vacation and it's like, how do I convey this thing? Like, uh, why should we do this? Well, it's good. I mean, the guy was so smart and we had such a great call in the like, how much is it? I don't remember and And Mm -hmm. yeah, you just, you just fall flat and then it just fails and it fails early. That's interesting. It fails way earlier than like why this company or status quo, right? Is that just, it just Mm -hmm. beats it down. And it's like, well, let's not do that. You got to kind of think about,
1: okay, I got to take a whole different approach. Like why do these other people care? Yeah. Which could be for a reason that is totally different from my own incentive or attachment do this deal.
0: Right. Right. What, why should they all care? How do you best train that person? You're excited, amped up, super eager, recommender. Mm -hmm. How do you train them to be the real sales rep in the deal? So it's it's a team
1: process. And what I mean by that is, you know a whole lot about your products, the way to describe them in a compelling way. And most times, if you're a revenue professional listening to this, you are thinking day and night, you're listening to podcasts to figure out, okay, how do we do this better? Your buyer is just trying to get a job done. Right. Right. They have their day job that they're trying to cruise through. And so what you can do is one, bring them a framework for how to lay out and structure an effective message. And then two, you can start to fill in that framework with two things. One, your the the product or industry knowledge that we just talked about on your side. But two, by asking thoughtful questions in your first conversations, you can begin to pull out inputs around things like how to correctly frame up or quantify a problem, it's linked to maybe some type of executive level initiative that others are going to care about. And so you're you're filling in this framework as you go by getting inputs from your buyer and then shaping it with them so that they're active in the process of creating this narrative that you can then turn over cool. best in written form. That's how one, you can make sure that they are using something solid to guide those internal conversations. Um, and two, you want it to be able to travel around the buying organization when you're not there. So think of this. I'll bring this all together with a simple analogy. Yeah. Think of it like playing Mad Libs. Do you ever, ever play Mad Libs? Yeah. Have any kids that play yeah, Mad Libs? Yeah, kids in the car,
0: we did a road trip to PEI the other day, took hours, and they were doing those in the backseat. There you go. Think of it like Mad Libs. What it is, it's a framework for a story that you're
1: working with somebody else to get their words, their language, to fill in the different blanks within that framework, and then what can they do? They can hand it to somebody else and be like, "Hey, read this story I
0: created." Wow, drop, yeah, that's a re- really cool analogy. Are there? Have you written a book? You, you should write like a sales Madlib book <laughs> <laughs> in like good terms. I can just drop in there. There you go.
1: That that would be good. maybe that's the next edition. We uh, we we released. Um, This what we call the enterprise sales playbook, and there there are some frameworks that we give away in there. That think of it as kind of like your your Mad Libs storyboard that you can then use as you're talking. um, One with buyers on the sales front for each individual account, and then two on the the marketing side. Like the more you understand kind of the problem centered narrative that a lot of buyers are sharing internally, you know that can inform the way that you structure some of your top of funnel content language as well. So. Um, yeah, maybe we'll do a, the big book of sales Mad Libs is the second yeah. edition or something like that.
0: I totally see it though. I mean, that's a great analogy because it's it's it done the hard work and now you're just dropping in like the name of the CEO, the industry they're in, the the cost they've spent on leads previously. And now the thing that they're going to, you know, yeah, it's great. And then mm-hmm. then it's easier for your sales reps aka now buyer enable neighbor to just uh-huh. drop in certain things and and then you can train the person how to say that and it's two points written. yeah, the whole thing makes a lot of sense. It's probably easier said than done, but now you at least know the thing you want to create is that madlib. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's it's like anything the first time you try it, it's gonna be a little awkward, a little right. funny, right. But then you realize how to roll with it. And it's, you know, it's like anything that you study in sales or marketing is, you know, it's a process over time of yeah. using that framework or using that approach. And then it, you just become fluent in it. Um, and it's just like second nature.
0: Yeah. I can totally see because this is how my sales would roll. I can totally see doing one of those live with a customer like, okay, okay. Favorite ice cream. What's your cost per lead. <laughs> what's the name of your CEO. You filling it all out. It's like, in order for Nate to get more mint chocolate chip, he needs to convince so-and-so you know, like it'd be so much fun to do that. But I, but then also teach them so they can be Mm -hmm. an enabler. Wow. So cool, man. Cool. I have traveled the world. I have had many a podcast episode, but that is a really cool takeaway. Right on. There you go. I try to keep it
1: practical wherever I go.
0: I mean, that's the thing, right? Because you can get so strategic, but then you want to plan and have a goal, but then you got to have some, something you can actually take action on.
1: Well, and that's, I think that's the mark of one good content on the marketing side or two a good sales process is like, you need somebody to understand the larger narrative, the strategic shift. So for example, when we're talking about those myths that we were busting, like those are pretty kind of strategic things for somebody to throw away all of their lead forms or to say like, ah, got it. Buyers are actually closing deal deals, but then you got to bring that all the way down to the tactical and help somebody see the path to how do we actually do this? Because if you are only talking about the quote why and not the how, people could just go back to regular old life and they're like, yeah, maybe some
0: nice brain candy, but mm-hmm. nothing for me to like really sink my teeth into, if you know what I mean. Totally. I mean, it's like doing a presentation at My Funnel and just talking about bacon the whole time, you know, it's <laughs> like, come on, give me some actionable advice once in a while here. So, exactly. um, yeah, yeah. So, so cool. I love the connection of the, the the why and then the, and then the how um, that makes for such a great podcast episode, man, I can't even believe this podcast is free. This is just like a great example of good content, right? There you go. That's what we want everybody to be feeling <laughs> right now. Exactly, man. Uh, so let's shift a little bit. You said you love learning, and you're constantly out there and about. Any favorite books you're you're into right now? Books or podcasts or sources that have been really feeding you?
1: Yeah. So I I recently posted about one that I just finished. It's called Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath, and it's all about kind of the decision-making science. They go through this framework that they call RAP about how to make good decisions, W-R-A-P. And they have kind of an acronym, um, widen your options, reality, test your assumptions, you know, kind of so on. And it was fascinating, particularly for B2B think about some type of sales process to understand the mindset of an executive trying to land at a good, confident, low regret decision. Like, how are ways that you can empower somebody to do that fascinating loved it um i am just about to finish another book that came highly recommended um it's called falling upwards and it's mm. about the three kind of phases of formation and growth through a spiritual perspective and it's i'm at kind of the point in my life and my career where i'm interested in more interested in the person that i'm becoming than the wake of KPIs and things that I'm achieving and leaving in my trail, you know? Yeah. So I, you know, just an example of like two very different books that I've been reading at the same time. So that's kind of over on the, uh, on the, the book side of things. Now the, the podcast that I've been jamming on lately is called in depth. It's put out by a group called first round capital. And I just, I think it's interesting because there are so many different topics as it relates to, building and growing companies that they cover inside of one show. I just, I like the, um, the variety things, you know, my, I like my life to be kind of like a charcuterie board. You get to sample yes. and try a, a lot of different yes. things, you know, that's kind of why I, I think I, I also kind of gravitated toward startups and went into the founding role. Cause you're always kind of working on a bunch of different things. So that's, what's been on my
0: plate lately. Dude. I love it. Yeah. I totally can relate on the charcuterie board and the idea of you know, let me just sample a little bit here and there. Maybe try this mm-hmm. cheese, maybe try that. I had one the other day and it was like really tasty. Um, and, you know, you get to try out three different kinds of salami because why there try one when you can try three? Uh, but yeah, the variety. For some people, they love that just a single focus for I know the entrepreneurial thing. It's like, give me a little bit of everything for a while. Um, and Then you end up being APAR, <laughs> finance. Head of product, so you're know, like, <laughs> okay, maybe I'll find a few people to help me out with a few of these things. That's right. Yep, there you go. And that's kind of
1: the that's the natural growth path. Is you got to figure out, okay, what do I want to let go of? What do
0: I want yeah. to go deeper on? You know, but you still have some of the background in that range uh, that you built up. Hell yeah, man, there's some good stuff here. We will have to get some more of these topics on this book. So let me shift completely, and we've learned so much from you. I love learning a little bit more about you. So tell me. Who are you? Who who is this guy named Nate? Can you take me back in time to like little Nate days? Did you know you're going to be an entrepreneur, a founder, an absolute rev badass? You know,
1: I, I don't know, but I, I knew I was always <laughs> kind. Of, I was kind of kind of wired to operate outside of the box a little bit. So, oh, yeah, growing up, my neighbors would have called me a menace. My teachers would have called me an intellectual clown. my parents would have called me a builder or a creative. Um, so, you know, different, different people would have had different takes on me. The reason why I say that is like, as, as a kid, me and my best friend, we had the most fun from giving the most terror to our neighbors. So we were always getting into something. I never really played video games. I was outside constantly trying to, to find some new adventure. Then, you know, in school I was, I was bored often. Um, so I acted out quite a bit. And teachers eventually just kind of realized that it was because intellectually I wasn't satisfied. And so they started sending me up to different kind of classes and grades to try to content me there. Um, yeah. And so that's why that's
0: why I say intellectual clown, if you will. And then percent then. No, I feel like I'm with you. And I've never heard it described like that. And it seems mm-hmm. I I literally just joined a webinar today and I was a bit of an intellectual clown on that webinar. I asked a really good question and then I had a really snarky one right after it. So (laughs) the presenter was like, you brought us up, then you brought us back down.
1: There you go. That was kind of how it was. My my trademark thing was going into school that day, I'd decide what name I wanted to go by and I would just pretend like if you called me Nate, I, I didn't know that person. I just wouldn't respond. And so, you know, I would kind of come up with different things like that to, to give my teachers a hard time, but you know, I turned in my work and, you know, ACE tests and whatnot. So we're like, okay, well, what can we do? You
0: know, he's learning at least. Gosh, (laughs) they were so happy to see you graduate. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh man. Well, I mean, so you go to school and Mm -hmm. what do you pick? What do you, what are you studying?
1: So I, I kind of dabbled in a couple of different things. I ended up coming out of school with a finance major. And wow. my thought there was, you know, my my head is like equally wired for numbers as literature. Sure. And my thought was, well, let me go into a more technical path, let me figure out how to build discounted cash flow models, and if I decide to go into a less technical field, then, you know, great. At least I have that background. Yeah. And I kind of did a little bit of both. I went into worked with a nonprofit for a little while. Worked on a small startup that imported and distributed tea to grocery stores, restaurants, things like that. Wow and then I was you know I liked the I liked the purpose of nonprofit work. I enjoyed the kind of scrappy creative nature of building a small company but tea wasn't really my thing yeah and then I kind of drew on that finance background. I went into consulting for a short stint um, was working on valuing technology so I'd build valuation models to arrive at some type of tech kind of IP value. And then those all kind of came together when I left that consulting firm and then went and co-founded a company that was in the uh, nonprofit software space. We built a fundraising marketing software for nonprofits. So they all kind of came together as a melting pot. So anyway, that was my trajectory. And there was a little bit of what I did in college that kind of melted in there. Um, But I've, you know, I've kind of dabbled in a couple of different, different fields.
0: Amazing! What what a what a trek! What a crazy uh, um, journey to go on, and and now you're you know found you know founding again and and launching this tool and all that craziness. Tell me about Fluent. What does it do? Yeah. So Fluent is built for any type of
1: complex sale that we okay. were talking about earlier. And so the problem that we were talking about is that you lose deals when you're not in the room because you're totally. you're not around when that. Uh, Conversation with the buying team is going on. So, what Fluent does is it converts a buyer's own words in sales conversations into the written content for a business case that you can give to your champion to help them sell internally. So, as opposed to giving them some case studies, kind of default product decks, number one, or two, taking the time to manually write out some of the narrative that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Fluent is, think of it as like the Mad Libs, right? You're oh my gosh, your buyer's you saying words.
0: You created the Mad Lib for me already? There you go.
1: Yep. You oh, drop yeah. your buyer's words into the framework to enable them to sell with a business case
0: um, internally to get that deal done and moving forward. Damn. Where is it at right now? I see there's a button that says it's fluent.io and there's a request access button. You got it. So is yeah. it, is it are we still in beta right now? Is this kind of like private?
1: Yeah. We Should yet? we... We, we started writing our first lines of code in February of this year, got first first early users onto the product this summer. They've been super helpful in um, helping us develop and kind of redesign the some of the ways we do like live transcription, for example. And so as we uh, continue to build and release product, we're letting more and more people from our waitlist on uh, and get access for it. So we, uh, yeah, I, I, eventually I just got so frustrated with losing deals in my own sales team, in our own sales process, that I was like, okay, we got to go build something. So um, that that kind of ideation process kicked off about a year ago. And
0: then we really started bringing it to life this year. Dude, I love that. I'm, I'm literally just, I just signed up to probably talk to you again on Monday. <laughs> yeah. But I, I noticed you had this cool button that says, are you going to actually be there? And it's like, no, I'm going to watch the recorded link instead. I was like, I'll just click that. So there you you're go. You're giving people yeah. different options.
1: It's um, it, it's me and our developers. So okay. product design management, marketing, sales, everything non-technical is me. So that's why I put that form there is like, when you're booking time to talk, it's me on the other side of the, the Zoom window here. So, you know, um, you can either one, check out the product for yourself or two, if you want to go deeper, grab some time. And I get to meet with a lot of interesting people this way.
0: I bet. No, I would love to see it. Love that. I mean, the idea of it. Um, I mean, I would use it myself, but also just the idea. I mean, it's such a killer idea. So cool. And and there's so many apps out there. You know, I talked to, uh, you know, Chief Martech recently, and he was showing me, you know, the the Martech five thousand, which is now like mm-hmm. fifty thousand apps. And there's so much, and a lot of things are duplicative. And but this, this I can immediately see how I would apply that. Um, so this whole show is going to turn into a shill for your product. Cause I'm so excited about it. <laughs> and they're going to be like, how much did you pay Casey to be jazzed about it? But no, this is really cool. Cause it simplifies, like, I need to get this message across to people. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and let me bring it full circle for, yeah. for example, when you think about the content you're putting out there, the practices that you're teaching people, the call it worldview or category that you're evangelizing, yeah. it can all relate and tie back into product. Like what a, what a good product ends up doing is shifting somebody's behavior to a more helpful direction and enabling to do that job easier than they otherwise would without the software. And so like what, what we're telling people is like, look, when you think about the category of buyer enablement, it's built around the idea that buyers are closing deals by selling internally. A good sales rep enables that. They need yep. to enable that with the narrative, a good message. And that process sucks. Is manual. It's time consuming right now. So let's build some software for it, right? So this is where you kind of put the full funnel together. The earlier part of our conversation all the way down into product. When I talk about product, you're like, oh, I get it. You know, like it all kind of relates and that's what you want somebody to feel for your own company is like, oh, cool. So the practices that Casey or your company is talking about, the knowledge that you're giving away, at the end of the day, there's pretty cool way to like actually do this when I become a customer.
0: Does this replace a sales rep in the end, in the future?
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think so. I I think maybe if we're talking like year
0: 2300. Yeah, and- but like a, like the prospect comes to the site, they fill out some information about themselves and their company mm-hmm. and then sure. But maybe that's the hard part is get them to get that information in there.
1: Yeah. So a good kind of call it pre-sales program, which is both the marketing and the demand gen, but then also as you kind of bring them further down into product education, some pre-sales work, ideally they're stepping into that sales conversation with a good amount of knowledge already. Mm -hmm. And so your conversation is going into, Hey, look, I'm a big fan. Love what you guys have built. This is, you know, your champion speaking, help me sell this internally. I got to go get 10 other people." Yeah. on board and convinced, how do I do this? That's a really fun relationship between a champion on the buying team and the sales rep. And so that's where I think we're just we're shifting to the seller's role is now you're one, ideally working a little further down the funnel with people who are more educated, aware of what you're doing. And then two, you're enabling them to go sell internally. So that's where I think kind of the definition or
0: call it the job description of sales reps is trending. That's cool. What I like about this is Like the content needs to speak for itself. The content needs to just be good. If the product, this works when the product is good or the service is good and, and it speaks for itself and it's less about convincing you or, or some CRMs conjoling you into, you know, buying this tool that you don't even know you need because you probably don't need it. It's not that it's, you actually do need this. We were trying to help you solve a pain you have. And so let us connect the dots for you so you can actually Mm -hmm. address this. And look, here's what you get. And it makes total sense as opposed to, it it kind of strips away the the gamesmanship, I think.
1: Exactly, exactly. You want to move from gamesmanship to relationship.
0: That's Ah. the Say that one more time. Gamesmanship to relationship and then something else you said after that?
1: Well, that's the whole goal. Oh, that's the the whole
0: goal. That is your quote, sir. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Oralizing that on a wall. From gamesmanship to relationship, that's the goal. Venez Rala 2022. (laughs) Boom! Mic drop, dude. I I have I have a hypothetical for you. Fireway because I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And let's say you come visit, get out here, get where where are you based? I don't even where are you based? I'm in in Denver, 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 Colorado. Oh, very cool. Well, I'll have to visit you too. But (laughs) you come out, visit New Hampshire, and you have some beer, some lobster, we have a good time. You get to use the time machine. But it's a particular mm-hmm. kind of time machine because it goes back in time to a few days after graduating with that finance degree. So you get to meet mm-hmm. that version of yourself. And and the space-time continuum will be okay. It won't fix Bernstein bears to Bernstein bears, but it mm-hmm. you can you can talk to yourself. What kind of advice? What kind of recommendations would you give yourself? So the First thing that I would tell myself is to
1: use kinder language. I was, I was a bit of an ass. And the reason why I say that is I carried myself with such a hard edge because I expected so much of myself that that just spilled over into my relationships and how I would interact with others. And, you know, I I would have saved myself a lot of just, well, hurting other people that were close to me, you know, the people that you don't want simply because the, internal call it critic that was always yelling at me would somehow spill out into my language with others. And I over time, I could look back and be like, you know, I I really didn't like that in how I was building relationships. So that that's the first thing that I would say.
0: This the set, internal intent. critic, hold on the yeah. internal critic spilling out, it, we think, mm-hmm. oh, it's okay if I'm beating myself up, but it sounds like we made the connection that it actually is harming the people around you too. Exactly, exactly. Okay. There,
1: you know, there is a healthy degree of excellence that you can strive for and that is good, right? You, some people are too kind to themselves in some ways (laughs) Yes. because, you know, they let themselves off the hook and they never really achieve what they are capable of. And that's a bummer for the people around them. Yes. You know, because like you, you have something to offer the world, but it's up to you to- dig deep and then give it because it, it takes effort. So there there's a balance there. Right. And I was just so far on the other end of that balance. Wow. All right. That was one. I, I think I cut you off. You were going to say the second thing mm. of advice. For well, yourself. kind of related. The second thing that I, I would have told myself is care more about the person that you're becoming than the things that you're achieving. And I was just kind of early. I was just kind of driven by this, this string of Progressive accomplishment, and I I never really felt peace, and there was never that sense of like inner stillness because everything that I was chasing was empty at the end of the mm-hmm. day, and so I when I think about w- what I am trying to become now is more of a friend to myself. That's a um, kind of a Stoic quote. Is like every day I want to become more a friend to myself. I want to like the person that I'm becoming. And it's, you know, it's taken, it's taken both achieving things that are cool and being like, oh, you know, a <laughs> little less satisfying that I was hoping. Yeah. Um, it took my wife coming along and throwing out this plan of like, I'm going to be the career man who doesn't get married until he's 50 years old. <laughs> and then, you know, there I was 26 years old, unexpectedly falling in love with this beautiful woman who is now my wife. Um, it took losing my co-founder who I built the first company with last year in February, passed away unexpectedly and wanting to have, you know, conversations because he was, he was a a person who would like remind me and tell me of like, Nate, here's the person that I see you becoming. And it was, it was helpful when I would get spun up on certain things and just lose sight of that. You know, so you, over time, I just kind of realized it's most important to me not to, and actually here's, here's the, good description from a guy named David Brooks. He wrote this book called road to character. And in it, he says, you can optimize your life for one of two things, resume virtues or eulogy virtues. And you can kind of take a guess at the difference. Resume virtues are the things that, you know, go on the, on the LinkedIn feed and so on. And then your eulogy virtues are the people, the things that other people say about the person that you are and who you're becoming.
0: Yeah, the person you're becoming—it's fascinating. Uh, this is a this is a killer topic. I love the idea of the friend to yourself being more friend to yourself. I I had a chance to read a, a diary journal entry um, from uh, a year plus ago. Things were really crazy with the last company, and and poor Casey is just handling what and the best he could. And and mm-hmm. I remember just reading some of those entries and just, and just having sort of a bit of um, empathy or compassion for myself, but almost like it was a different person. Like you don't, you don't know yet what you're going to be going through. And I know this is tough for you now, but you're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I definitely, I know exactly what you're talking about with that, that to yourself, you know, just being a friend and, and I guess that ties into the self-talk and all the other things you're going to do yeah. for yourself, which then leads to however that's going to spill out for everyone else. Yeah, that's exactly right. Hmm. Hmm. Resume virtues, eulogy virtues. Can't have both because I feel like you're doing both right now. I don't know what's going on. You're breaking I think.
1: (laughs) Well, what what you kind of see is the conclusion in the book, and I've learned the hard way, is that when you optimize for eulogy virtues on the flip side, you often end up getting the resume virtues. If Mm. you chase down the resume virtues first, it is a very brittle and short-term path. So- it's more a you know, go for the second, end up with the
0: first. Go for the first, don't get the second. Right, right. Interesting, and I guess it depends on what you value, what you prioritize. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about the, the the spiritual growth side. So you've been reading a lot of books about that. I, I heard some stoicism happening, a little Marcus mm-hmm. Aurelius maybe. Where is it all sort of coming to?
1: Yeah. So I kind of go back to one of the, so there, there are two really good books from a author and then a pastor out in Oregon named John Mark Comer. And one, one is called the ruthless elimination of hurry. The other is called live no lies. And in it, he kind of talks about, there's this process process of spiritual formation, which is for, so for myself, I followed Jesus and the process of spiritual formation is to one, spend time with him, Two, to become like him, and three, to do what he did. And that is kind of the whole idea, very simple that Comer talks about is if you're a disciple of Jesus, looking to become a person like Jesus, spend mm. time with him, become model his character, and then do what he did. Yeah. And you know, it's it's super simple when that is then the whole goal of spiritual formation. I'm I I read all different types of of worldviews. Um, and so I'm, I'm always intensely curious and interested in where you can find truth in different kind of worldviews. And so I go back and I, and I try to look at, okay, for example, reading Marcus Aurelius, yeah. you know, in, in, in some, in history, in some chapters, Christianity, those who were following Christ, the Stoics were very in conflict, mm. right? And then did he time, write about he-
0: Christianity? Was that around with, for him? So
1: uh, uh, Nero, for example, um, you know, was a persecutor of those right. who were following that movement because it was following one person that was different from the empire, the Roman Empire of that time. And then over time, when you look back, and actually, it's very interesting if you read some of Ryan Holiday's writing, he talks about how well actually that's in conflict with some of the kind of core tenets of Stoicism. And so. I, I just find it fascinating to look back over time, over history, and try to just understand what other worldviews have been optimizing life for, if you will, and then the path to doing that. Um, so when I think about podcasts as well that I listen to, it's one of the, if you catch me in the morning, that's generally mm-hmm. kind of the topic that I'm listening to. And then as I go on throughout the day, I kind of trend back more toward you know maybe some business and startups and things like that.
0: That's cool. yeah, different times of day <laughs> different different readings. um mm-hmm. have you have you heard any of the hardcore history podcast? No uh-uh, I, oh, I haven't please, friend, write this one down. Um, okay, Hardcore history Dan Carlin mm-hmm. uh, fascinating. He's not a historian. He'll keep saying he's not a historian, but if he's not one, I don't know what it is. but he'll yeah. go and he'll look at multiple historians and he will retell uh, one of his uh, in these podcasts might be three hours he might do. Four of them, and he spends 24 hours prepping for just even one of them. Um, mm-hmm. And he'll tell one was like the king of kings talking about the king of Persia. And the reason they called him that was because he literally would, he would sort of come to a nation. He'd say, Look, you can still be the king, and we're all good. You just got to, you know, send me money and then come when your army needs to come when I call, or we can just wipe your literally city off the map completely, you know? Mm-hmm. So they had a choice, but then kings would be like, Okay, I'm in. But they they talked about how he was the first one that would do that. Everyone else would be like, we're just going to murder you all. But he was the first one to say, you can stay if you work with me here. So anyways, he goes into detail. He loves battles. And he talks Mm -hmm. about what actually happened. And if there's conflicting reports from from journalists, aka historians, he'd say, well, the victor usually gets the outcome Mm -hmm. written the right way. And so he'd definitely check it out. It's really fascinating. Interesting. The Hardcore History Podcast. Yeah. Dan Carlin. Okay. It's okay. Huge. Huge. There you
1: go. Pretty, pretty catchy name for a podcast too. There's something about the Hardcore
0: Podcast I know. that
1: you just know they're going to be good.
0: <laughs> no relation, but he, he was around first. So he, he may have influenced me with mine for sure. Uh, it was It's so good. Uh, yeah, but back to this this whole idea of, of the spiritual journey, it's fascinating. Different people you're encountering and just the idea of spiritual formation something sounds, sounds intentional right and i just mm-hmm. find that whether it's in business or personal lives the more intentional person wins the person who's thinking about why they're thinking or thinking about what they want to do or what they want to say any mm-hmm. time and i'm i'm sometimes not intentional i'm sometimes in the moment but anytime yeah. i can take a step back and just be a little bit more intentional about where i want to go or what i want to say just so much better yeah
1: well, and that and that's the idea. Is you may be listening to this conversation. You're like, "Hey, I'm here for the sales and marketing. The spiritual talk is a little interesting." Well, you already got it, so shut up, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> or you might say, like, "Okay, you know that's cool, Nate. You follow Jesus, but I just believe in science. There's nothing else beyond it." But the the idea that you brought up is that if you're not intentional about the worldview that you're cultivating and then becoming by extension that you are leaving yourself open to following whatever the worldview is predominantly around you, right? Other forces are shaping the person that you're becoming and who you are being drawn to. And that's why so often, like if you want to link this back to why I encourage founders, even if it's not prayer, maybe it's meditation, some type of spiritual practice, because the startup life will chew you up and spit you out because it is all Caught up in an identity of more, bigger, better, faster, and that is a very strong draw, and it is its own worldview, and you can easily get sucked into it if you're not to your word. That I really like that you were using intentional
0: about that. Yeah, hundred percent. I I even heard about some. Have you have you heard the All In podcast? You heard that I've heard I've heard of it, but I don't think I've listened to oh, it. You got to check one that one out before. too. Okay, um, it's like macroeconomics, hmm. and you just. But it's also like political and they just sort of, but they tell you from that like 90,000 foot view, just fascinating. Like, oh, why did this happen? And just even the fact that uh, a bunch of the VC and private equity were spending too much. Like they they got 400 billion and they had to spend something like 2 billion a, a month you know, which is like 800 million. Uh, yeah, they had to spend so much. And so then the standards went low and then it put too mm-hmm. much money in the market. And then all this stuff happened just is a sort of macro example of what you're describing, where if you're not being intentional about it, you're going to inadvertently do something and the repercussions are not something you calculated. Right. Well, and, and it's interesting not to
1: not to synonymize necessarily, you know, business or VC with Enron and, you know, corporate <laughs> scandals. However, It is very interesting if you go back to this Enron scandal and you listen to some of the descriptions after the fact, Mm. um, when they talk about, it was just like one small, like simple thing that we were just trying to bridge something a little bit. Like I know it blew up and it said, but like, Mm -hmm. what was the small thing that they tweaked? I I don't remember exactly. So I'll have to go back and look at it. But the most interesting thing about those interviews Is it's this kind of scandal or how it grew is talked about as once we got on the tiger, we couldn't get off of it for fear of it turning around and eating us. Yes. And so we had to continue to cover up and tell bigger and bigger and bigger lies in order to keep going. And once you're there, you can't get off. And that, and the point is like back to your word intentional is like if you're not intentional about how you're living today, making the right choices. And right being based on what is truly the right thing to do, not what is the right thing for more profit or growth. Mm -hmm. Pretty soon you'll be on a tiger that could come, come turn back around and eat you. And that's a pretty scary, scary thing. If you don't have
0: any compass that you're living by day, day by day. Reminds me of a CEO when I was a youngster and I, Mm -hmm. I said, Hey, what's our, I heard about this culture core. I'm like, what's our culture in our company? You know, what's our core values? He's like, Oh, we don't have any. Right. And I was like, Oh, okay. Seemed, didn't seem right at the time. Now I know he's complete. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't know, but, if, but to your point, if, if you don't, if you're not in control of it, being intentional about what your culture is, you still have one. You're just mm-hmm. not controlling it and it's running away from you and it's going wherever it wants to go.
1: Yeah. I mean, culture is the set of shared behaviors or norms that people are operating by and it doesn't have to be like labeled and it's not the, the words on the wall. I mean, you figure out culture just by observing and watching a group of people and yeah. what they are doing and kind of their operating
0: rhythms and behaviors day to day. Amazing, 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 amazing. So good. Where can people reach out to you? How do they get into the fluent? Is it a demo? Uh, all the links throughout the socials, the links, everything. Smoke signals. Well,
1: best places on LinkedIn. You can connect um, Nate Nasralla on LinkedIn. Um, two, if you want to go check out some of the writing that we were talking about earlier, the content on um, enterprise and complex selling specifically, yeah. go check out our blog. So that's fluent.io, fluent, F-L-U-I-N-T.io slash blog. And you can download and read um, all of the different things that uh, I've been writing there. So two great places and would love to connect with anybody interested.
0: Hell yeah. And this is also the place to get the content that doesn't even need a gate Because as soon as you read it, you're going to want to share it with everyone else. I'm excited to even go see that. I think that alone should drive every single marketer on this podcast to there. Uh, And the Mad Libs should make every single salesperson want to become a better enabler and head there too. There
1: you go. It's the big banner on the top of the blog. It's called the Enterprise Sales Playbook. You just click the big button and it'll bring you into the full, full long form content right there.
0: No form, no nothing
1: yeah have at it there there is a downloadable version if you want the pdf but i think the web version that's ungated and open is like pretty cool Um, yeah it's probably indexed beautifully by
0: google so exactly there you go (laughs) love it man dude it's been so great to chat with you thank you so much for coming on here i literally have run out of space i've written so much notes down i've learned a lot and and it's not every day that I get to just really just learn so much on this show. And I'm just so glad you came on here. Well,
1: thanks, Casey. It means a lot. I, I, I do a fair number of podcasts, and this one has been one of my favorites. We got to cover so many topics and so many meaningful topics as well. So just
0: yeah. thanks for being a great host. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being a real person too. I mean, teach us the business stuff, but then show us who you are inside and, you know, your your spiritual journey the formation the different things that drive you and the different things you would tell little you so all that was just Mm. awesome love love hearing that learning from you i can't wait to to fill out some mad libs so thank you again (laughs) and those listening if you learned something and i freaking know you did because i literally have two pages of notes over here front and back it's crazy i ran out of space i'm in the margins so um share this with someone else be a thought leader one person seven people nine thousand people whatever but just share good information with someone else. There's a lot of good books we have to go buy now. We'll we'll do that as a a team. We got to go buy all these books because there's some more learning to be done here. Uh, And again, Nate, thanks again, man. Thanks, Casey. All right, everybody. This has been another really, really cool, exciting episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.